0: The Cannabis Conversation A European perspective on the emerging legal cannabis industry Welcome to the Cannabis Conversation with Anuj Asai, where we explore the new legal cannabis industry by speaking to the professionals that are helping to shape it. I welcome back Gregor Zorn for part two of our show on cannabis and Western medicine. Last week, we talked about a number of things and we could have talked for, for a lot longer, but we kind of left it talking about the high level constituent parts of the cannabis plant. And, and actually, Gregor, one of the things that you said on last week's show was about just on, on a kind of Simplistic level, pharmaceutical companies like to isolate and synthesize and then mass produce. And given the complexity of the cannabis plant and the variety of strains and potential cannabinoids and terpenes, etc., that might exist within it, that is quite the opposite of, of the pharmaceutical model. Do you think pharmaceutical companies don't really know how to
1: approach something like cannabis? because of its complexity getting right into the debate so it is it is it is different in a sense uh, because the complexity of these active compounds that are found in cannabis and in other herbal plants of course is really difficult to make in a synthetic way because it's really really complex and we really uh, do not even understand the importance of the various components of uh, this plant on the therapeutic effects of the whole preparation so this is an area of course that is under scrutiny right now so determining which which compounds are actually crucial for certain indications so we have let's say somebody is using cannabis for uh, let's say multiple sclerosis and a person is vaporizing it and is having great effects so which are the compounds that are most Uh, needed in a sense to have this effect. Is it all of them? Is it five of them? Is it the ratio of just three of them? So this is questions that we have to answer now and have to understand it to have better understanding of how we can actually produce or grow cannabis that is specifically tailored for specific indications. Cannabis plant is a marvelous, let's say, mini production facility of all these beautiful active ingredients but uh, which of them are the ones that are specifically needed for having specific effects this is the question that needs to be answered and uh, is something that we will be researching for years because it's so complex and there are so many different uh, variations. So if if we look at the number of plant cannabinoids, which we mentioned in the last show, which was 144, then we have over, depending on the source, let's say 200 terpenes and terpenoids that have been isolated from this plant. And you can do the math on how many potential combinations just. With these two components, then you have other constituents such as flavonoids and uh you know a lot of other components there are more than a thousand active compounds present in this plant so it's it's really is a complex thing to figure out. We do have to start and we do have to try because uh the implications are really, really important in finding all these different uh, ratios, types of let's say constituents that can actually be the most beneficial in specific cases and we mentioned last last time that as uh, this these components actually uh, have an effect on the endocannabinoid system which has an effect on all the other systems in our body this can be potentially uh, therapeutically useful for a lot of different types of medical conditions and this is something that is 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 hard to understand for a lot of medical professionals you know how can one plant have so many beneficial effects on so many different systems and organs and so on. It's really mind boggling to them because they're used to one specific um, compound for a specific symptom or specific indication.
0: Yeah, I had Professor Deddy Mary from the Technion University in um, Tel Aviv and he's obviously doing a lot of research in this area. He was, again, s- is much like yourself, explaining just how long it will take to study these things and almost it will, the study will never end because there's so much to discover. Yes. um Diddy is doing a
1: fantastic work, by the way, I know him very well yeah. at, uh, at Technion University in Israel. They're doing really <laughs> amazing work and uh, his work can tell you how, how this area uh, Really is, and we're really scratching the surface.
0: Mm, yeah, which is really exciting. But I think, you know, probably people need to be a bit patient as well because we, we don't know um, many of the answers yet.
1: Of course, um, but would you be patient if you had uh, stage 4 cancer and you were dying at home? No,
0: no, no, I mean, <laughs> yes, you're quite right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I mean, I, well, I guess what I mean in patients is maybe we don't know all the answers yet, which doesn't mean we shouldn't try this. Exactly,
1: um, yeah, yes. Um, yeah. yes. Um, yes. Rather than the other way around.
0: Problems. There seems to be, I'm not a scientist, but from from many perspectives, there's a kind of resistance from some doctors and some more orthodox Western medical professionals where it's not proven yet. Therefore, I won't consider it. And that kind of leads on to my next question: What are the kind of main
1: challenges around that, and that, and sort of how have you got any ideas on how we overcome them? Well, you are correct, and I would say the majority of the medical professionals do not trust cannabis, and mainly there they do not know anything about it. Why? Because they've never been talk about it they never studied it at the university level or it's in schools they were only thought it's it's a bad thing it's addictive it causes this and that it causes schizophrenia it causes uh, all kinds of things and uh, it has no medicinal use that's what they know and that's of course what remains in their brain and uh, uh, seeing all this cannabis here and there and left and, and chewing cancer and so on of course they're skeptical because they saw a lot of these types of let's say scams happening in in the past of course but this again is a lack of knowledge it's a lack of education because cannabis is not something just that is happening now it has been used as I mentioned for thousands of years it's probably one of the first crops that man actually started growing because of its so many uses and if you look at the medicinal aspect from ancient China to Egypt to India to Assyria, all these ancient cultures actually used cannabis for therapeutic uses. And even uh, before the implementation of this so-called Western modern kind of medicine, cannabis was used in Europe and in the United States. And it was, in some cases, the third most used drug, let's say, or product for a treatment of various ailments. And it's interesting that the prohibition that happened in 1937 and then over the years actually just denied any kind of research because of its legality status being scheduled on and having so much problems in just providing this plant to study it. And also the main focus and the money because we have to know that for doing scientific research, you do have to have funds. And uh, money often is problematic for scientists. So the main funding was always towards showing that cannabis, or in the sense THC, as I mentioned last time, THC was the most researched, being the one that caused the psychoactive effects or psychotropic effects. The main theme was always demonstrating how this constituent THC and cannabis is detrimental to our health it causes harm it causes this it causes that that was the funding and those were the main studies done at that time now we're seeing of course a change but still they're still trying to push this fatality and all these say reefer madness of uh, facts that they at the time of prohibition tries to enforce on on the public. And they're still ingrained in the brains, of course, of people, medical professionals and so on. So it is a problem for these medical professionals, such as doctors and pharmacists and so on, to embrace uh, this cannabis movement. But it's something they will eventually have to do Because cannabis is here to stay and it's not going anywhere. It is so many people are already having so many benefits from using cannabinoids and cannabis in various fields, in various, let's say, medical conditions that it's difficult to go back. Yeah. And as definitely. I mentioned last time, if, you know, uh, the pharmaceutical drugs work and uh, the pills worked, well, people would be satisfied. and They wouldn't go looking for cannabis, but that's not the case.
0: No. And, um, you know, given your interaction as a cannabis and medical cannabis educator, what's your firsthand experience of the doctors that you deal with? A lot of them, a lot of them, if they're coming to you in the first place or attending your seminars and symposiums, et cetera, they must be curious to begin with but do a lot of them come up to you and say they, they're quite surprised by
1: what they learn well yeah, the ones that actually want to learn they're really it's it's really really motivating to uh, teach them all the aspects of cannabis but as I mentioned before a lot of them don't even want to learn this subject they're not interested mm-hmm. in the subject we're seeing in general and this is just in general we're seeing the younger generations being more inclined and more curious towards cannabis and wanting to learn more about it because I think they can see how this plant and this field has a great potential in the future and will it be a great part of, uh, let's say, medicine in general. So, uh, these are the ones that actually are very, very inclined to learn new things and to applying also these things. But again, what is the incentive for uh, doctors to actually prescribe cannabis? cannabis and cannabinoids. Do they have any? Well, being, let's say, the status and the legality of cannabis is always problematic. And this being such a problem, It's just a burden for them. Why would they go through all these hoops and regulations and have to fill out a number of forms? In many countries, does happen before they can actually prescribe cannabis. And all this bureaucracy when they can actually just prescribe you uh, prescription drugs, and they have no problems, and they have no legal issues. Why would they do that? They have no incentive. Well, the incentive is actually the patients. It's the patients who are usually the ones who first find out about cannabis. And they're the ones who are pushing cannabis. They're the ones who are talking to the doctor and saying, look, I have this and this, and I would like to try cannabis. Do you know anything about cannabis? And doctor usually will know little to nothing about cannabis. So this is something that is driving, in a sense, this cannabis revolution. It is the patients. It is uh, the patients who have tried everything and failed and tried cannabis and had good results. It is the mothers, it is the children that are actually having incredible results and it's actually saving their life. When you see these cases, when you see these people, you cannot say it does not work, it's just a scam or something like that. You can see the effects, you can see the people reliving their life again which is incredible for these people. And when you see all these stories, you know, one story is one thing, but when you see thousands of these cases, and as I mentioned last time, I did have the opportunity to follow a lot of patients and seeing the radical changes that cannabis, but not only cannabis, you know, cannabis is not the solution. It's not the panacea that cures everything and every type of disease at every stage. It is not, but it it is something that you can really try. And if you don't have good results, it's okay you tried it. And the the important thing is that usually there are no long-term adverse events. So you can really experiment with it and give yourself time to try different ratios, different cannabinoids, different methods of consumption, like vaporizing, like taking it orally, applying it topically, and so on. And usually, in my experience, uh, the majority of patients will have positive effects at least in one area of let's say, the problems that they're having. You know, it can be sleep, it can be pain, it can be uh, reducing inflammation, it can be reducing itchiness, You know, things like that that don't seem very important. But if you have, let's say, a dermatological problem and your skin is itching all the time, which is a kind of pain, you know, and it's really, really annoying, if you apply, let's say, a topical salve of CBD or THCA or THC, and it's just instantly it causes the itchiness to go away. Well, for you, for the patient, that is a great improvement of life. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, so much to talk about here. I always find it quite frustrating how, what I find with doctors that understand the opiates and various derivatives are used in many medications and are able to sort of divorce that from street heroin, why they can't apply a similar approach to cannabis and and separating the extremely high THC street skunk from the various other different strains and types of plant that you can use it always seems very frustrating to me that they can't use those parallels
1: yeah because and it's it's a really really good comparison the problem is that the official medical let's say institutions have not yet embraced cannabinoids and cannabis as they did with opioids. That is the main difference because opioids, uh, the natural opioids that are found in plants, are different from the ones that are produced by these pharmaceutical drug companies in mass. They're synthetically produced and they differ from the natural compounds. And also their activity, their, let's say, uh, their potency is also increased by many times. And this again uh, fits right into the pharmaceutical logic and pharmaceutical industry, let's say, economy, whereas cannabinoids do not and cannabinoids yeah. does not, you know. So this is, this is the important distinction. Plus, again, the lack of education, which is again usually provided by these entities, by these associations that uh, these physicians and doctors are part of. And again, They do not teach or say anything, let's say, beneficial about cannabinoids. And they're very, very skeptic and very cautious, which is good, you know, being cautious and being skeptic is good and having the science is good. But again, it's difficult in many senses to have the same evidence with cannabis and cannabinoids as they have with other pharmaceutical drugs, mainly because these studies are incredibly expensive and only pharmaceutical companies with a lot of money can afford to do them and these types of studies the double wine Placebo controlled studies are the studies that doctors and medical professionals look up to. And these are the highest qu- uh, level of quality in a sense from studies, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, other studies, such as uh, observational studies, when you're actually following patients who are uh, using, let's say, cannabis and cannabinoid products for a specific, let's say, indication or a specific disease, can have a lot of information on, uh, from these types of studies. But again, they're not treated equally as other studies. Uh, studies so we will have to change something something will have to change in the mentality or something will have to change in the system for it to embrace in a sense cannabis and cannabinoids as uh, viable therapeutic options and as something you can actually choose because when they are actually proposed cannabinoids or cannabis is proposed it's usually the last thing If everything doesn't work, every other uh, medication synthetic drug that they try doesn't work, then, yeah, okay, you can try cannabis in a sense. It's the last resort. The last resort, and it shouldn't be. It should usually be the first one,
0: in my opinion. I mean, if you look at it from the perspective of the potential risks, from taking something with cannabis they're relatively low and again it's not a question of people will be taking extremely high THC you'll be taking something that's recommended by a doctor that understands the plant and will probably have some THC but it won't be 30% or whatever you get on the street and at worst you
1: might not like it but at best it might actually help your problem it usually does help and as you mentioned yes dosing and starting using cannabis uh, medicinally in a correct way is extremely important and again it's part of the educational process people are different i you and other people we have different tolerances and if if we talk about thc which sadly in a way but this is the reality is usually necessary for having these therapeutic effects in the majority of conditions, not in all of them, but in a lot of these conditions. Again, THC is very, very useful and has an incredible amount of different effects. Dosing is extremely important and not only dosing. So uh, one uh, good thing that Dr. Ethan Luce always says is start low and go slow. So starting at the minimal dose, you can, you know, if you don't feel anything, fine, that's great just you know that this is not enough for you but some people can feel even the low doses so there are let's say five to seven percent of people who are extremely extremely sensitive to thc and they will even feel these extremely low quantities of thc so this is one of the reasons that you start low some people will have the therapeutic effects even at these low doses but the majority of us we're in the middle And of course, there's the opposite side. There are those who are extremely non-sensitive to THC, and they can take huge amounts, even of oral THC, and they don't feel anything. But as I mentioned, most of us are in the middle. And one thing with THC is, as I mentioned last time, is it's always good to have THC with CBD. Why? Because... They actually complete each other, in a sense. They have very similar effects, in a sense. They're both anti-inflammatory. They're both analgesic. But they act through different mechanisms to achieve these goals. So having them together gives you a better chance. If one doesn't work, the other one will work, in a sense. And also, CBD is very important with THC because it reduces or even negates some of the potential unwanted side effects of THC. Saying that THC doesn't have side effects, it's just wrong. Anything can have side effects. But these side effects can be mitigated very well by CBD because it actually blocks some of these effects of THC without reducing the therapeutic effects and we are talking specifically about the high so the psychotropic effect this is something of course that the majority of patients they do not want to be high they just want to be normal in a sense to go to work to go to school take their children home and so on so have a normal functional life and if you're high if you're let's say intoxicated some of these things are not well, you cannot drive a car and so on. So it's difficult to be to do these things. And this is where C B D comes into the, the equation. It actually uses these psychotropic effects without reducing or even enhancing the beneficial effects, let's say the energesic effect of THC. So you can have smaller doses, you can have CBD let's say in an equal ratio, one-to-one ratio with THC, it actually reduces the psychotropic effects, you don't feel so high, you feel more functional, you can do things that you couldn't do if you were, let's say, high, and also it can reduce some of the things that especially cannabis-naive patients, those that start cannabis and never tried cannabis ever in their life, at the beginning, some of the effects of THC can be scary, in a sense. One of these effects, typical effects is THC elevates your heartbeat, usually. And this is something that a lot of patients get really scared because they, they, they start uh, using THC usually via vaporizer. As I mentioned, inhaling, smoking is a, not a therapeutic way of taking cannabis okay so that's why i always talk about vaporizing using a dry herb vaporizer because if you burn anything or cannabis or tobacco or even chamomile or any herb the burning process will produce these toxic byproducts and this is something you should not be inhaling and especially patients should not be inhaling because they can be irritating to the lungs they can have uh, car- carcinogenic compounds and so on so does it also kill some of the cannabinoids or, or, or as in it renders them ineffective because Well it extinct? destroys them yes it does yeah. but that's not the main problem the main problem is actually uh, the creation of all these toxic compounds and there are over a hundred of them, which is something that you do not want to, to inhale. Why would you inhale toxic compounds when you're trying to treat yourself? It's it's you know it's ridiculous. That's why you use these vaporizers, which are these uh, machines can, that can be portable. They can be desktop varieties that actually heat up cannabis or herbs. It can be other herbs. You know it's, you can put lavender in if you want, and they heat it up. So the evaporation process from the heat actually causes that these active ingredients, which we mentioned last time, that are found in the trichomes, these specialized structures on the surface of cannabis, especially in uh, in the buds or in the flowering tops of cannabis, they actually evaporate and you inhale them without burning them. So this is a very therapeutic way of inhaling cannabinoids Without burning them and without creating all these toxic side products, which of course are not something that you would want to uh, inhale. So this is, this is a kind of aromatherapy, if you want to think of it. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it, it, it is the basis. So without burning you, you can actually have these uh, constituents in your body and inhalation is different from uh, taking cannabinoids oral. this is also a distinction that patients and doctors should be very aware of. So if you inhale, cannabinoids, let's say THC via vaporizer, it will very quickly go from into your lungs and then from your lungs into your blood and directly into your brain, let's say. And you can feel the effects very quickly, you know, sometimes in a matter of seconds, sometimes in a matter of minutes because it's a direct process. But when you ingest cannabinoids, when you say, let's say, take drops or take an extract, of course, it has to go through the whole digestive system. It has to go into the stomach, into the gut, then it gets absorbed and it goes through the liver and the liver metabolizes, digests the cannabinoids. So it transforms, let's say, in the case of Delta 9 THC, uh, metabolizes Delta 9 THC into its first primary metabolite, which is 11-hydroxy-THC. This is different from delta-9-THC, but it is also psychotropic. It also produces the high, and it is, depending on the studies, it is, let's say, three to four times more potent in the psychotropic effect than THC. Okay, so we have a different, uh, let's say, compound that's actually active in your body. So this is also why there is such a difference between when you inhale cannabis and you take it orally. Anybody who has tried, especially THC, taking it orally or taking it via inhalation will feel there's a difference. There's a difference in the effect, there's a difference in how you perceive it, there's a difference in how you feel it in your body. Oral preparations, usually you feel it in your whole body, it's a more body high, as they call it, while uh, if you inhale it, you can feel it more in your head and so on. And also, one important difference is uh, the time that you feel this effect. So with inhalation, as we said, you can feel it extremely quickly, but the time, the period, when you feel this effect is two to four hours. It really depends. You know, it depends if you if you take it orally. If you inhale it, so if you oh right, you you mean the length the length of time that you feel the effects, let's say. Whereas if you take it orally, the effects can be much longer, so four to eight hours, let's say, or six hours. So this is is an important distinction also when trying to achieve a specific effect, therapeutic effect. In a sense, if you have pain now, and you want to stop the pain now taking, a, say, an oral product, it will take time before you will feel the effects of the oral product. Usually it takes between half an hour and an hour and a half before you feel the effects if you take, let's say, drops over and so on. So if you want to have a therapeutic effect instantaneously or in, in a few minutes, a, a good idea would be to use a vaporizer and to inhale cannabis because in this sense, or cannabinoids, cause in this sense you will feel the effects much faster. But the effects will last for a shorter period of time. So if you want the effects to last for a longer period of time, then it makes more sense to take oral products or you can combine the two
0: yeah right i can imagine that just that alone being quite a significant challenge for western doctors the idea of advocating an inhalation method for a medicine yes i imagine there is that's prevalent in many types of medication so it must be quite a challenge in just the
1: way they approach it it is. It is a challenge, and uh, also it's a problem with patients, not only with doctors. You know, we are so yes, used to, to taking pills or taking mm-hmm. drops or things that smoking something, which I said is not a therapeutic way, or inhaling something via vaporizer, it is a little bit, let's say, non-conventional. It's really effective. Also, in many countries, let's say in Europe and also in the United States, you will find uh, in the United States dispensaries, but here in Europe, you will find in pharmacies, they will actually sell flour, you know, so, right. but so you can you use these flowers mainly for vaporizing because a lot of people will not be making other products at home such as extracts and so on so this is also how cannabis products are sold so it is meant to be vaporized it is meant to be used in this way but again uh, it doesn't exclude using different types of methods for having specific effects you know for as i mentioned before if you want the, the effect to be instantaneous or be very quick then you can use at the beginning you can use uh, vaporization and then you take the drops or have a longer-lasting effect. You know, they do not exclude each other. But yeah, this is something that also, again, doctors need to know. It is something that we usually always teach them, and it is not that difficult to understand. And also for the patients, once they, they 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 get the hang of it, it's it's really you know they can feel it, and they can uh, let's say in the case of migraines, some patients have a so-called aura. They have these kinds of uh, symptoms before the migraine happens, and this can be an alarm and it can give them time, let's say, to say, okay, uh, now I'll be in half an hour, I'll have migraine attack and I can just inhale cannabis and I can prevent from the attack of even happening. And then I can take something orally to have this effect lasting, let's say, for a few hours and so on. So this, is, this can be very useful in how you use it for specific symptoms, for sp- specific uh, medical conditions.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, I mean, really interesting. And it will, it will require a bit of a mind shift, both from patients and doctors. I mean, we could talk again for a lot longer, conscious of time though. If I am to offer a sort of a very crude summary of high level difference between pharma and cannabis is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but like much of, of our society, it comes down to money and ownership of IP and often pharmaceutical companies fund research. And because possibly it's difficult for them to approach cannabis in an ownership way, they may be less willing to fund such research.
1: And that's why there's a bit of a difference between the two categories. Is that sort of fair enough to say? It is. And also it's taking their money in countries, in states, let's say in the United States, where they have a medical cannabis program and uh, people can access to medical cannabis new on numerous occasions numerous studies and numerous surveys have shown that people are substituting cannabis for other pharmaceutical drugs because they're having more positive effects less adverse events and they're actually glad to have this option and of course the pharmaceutical companies when they see a reduction of 50 percent of 70 percent in uh, let's say analgesics in opioids in uh, NSAIDs in different antipsychotics Well, this is a bit problematic for their shareholders, right? So it is a big problem. It is also one of the reasons, as you mentioned, it's money, it's power, it's having the IPs, it's having all this influx of tremendous amounts of money. This is a multi-billion dollar industry. It's an industry. Let's not forget it. And uh, yes, it is. It is bothersome to have this plant, which is called weed in the United States because it grows (laughs) like weed. So anybody can actually have it in the garden, you know, three plants, let's say, and they can actually, if they know how to, they can extract medicine for the whole family for the whole year, practically for pennies. Yeah, it really is an Um, affront to capitalism, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But then capitalism,
0: which caused the opioid problem in the first place, because uh if these pharmaceutical companies had some restrictions, and weren't able to effectively buy doctors who were casually prescribing
1: it, then some of these problems wouldn't have happened, I suppose. Exactly. And just a few months ago, very interesting uh, documents have come out of this opioid crisis and how it was caused. It didn't just happen, it was caused by such huge influxes of these opioids. And let's say, in a sense, doctors were incentivized to give opioids for a lot of indications that shouldn't be given opioids, but this led to this opioid epidemic, which is killing hundreds of people every day, and it's really, really an epidemic. And it's not the opioids, the heroin, the street heroin that's killing the people. It's the prescription opioids that are killing people, which hundreds or thousands of times are more potent than, uh, let's say, morphine. So, wow. uh, yeah, of course. And yes. um, again, it's, it's, it's another topic. It's, it, a, it's, it's another a topic. For but another day. <laughs> it's extremely interesting how this happened, so you know, and uh, how cannabis can actually, and we know this from history, you know, uh, when English doctors. They came back from India. This is when they brought in the 1980s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and so on. They brought this knowledge and they saw how cannabis was used in India. They used it for different things. And at that time, they were well aware of the opioid problem and the opioid dance and so on and they were well aware of what opioids could do and where they had their limitations and comparing it to cannabis when you read these old texts you will see that they actually knew that cannabis in comparison with opioids if you compare them actually does not have these limitations and these serious adverse events that opioids can cause even death as we mentioned cannabis does not do the it provides actually a relief especially for pain which works in a different Mechanisms than the opioids, too. And actually, even studies done using cannabis with opioids, you can see that you can reduce the amount of opioids if you use cannabis with it by even 50% or even more. Uh, let's say 75% you can reduce for having the same effect. And uh, the interesting thing is that actually, cannabis, which is a drug. And it's, uh, let's say a drug without any medicinal use is a schedule one, still official at the federal level in the United States. It's actually being now studied for treating other addictions. Opio- <laughs> yeah. Opioid addiction, nicotine addiction, and so on. Because the mechanisms of these different cannabinoids, they can actually help reduce the craving that you have for all these types of addictions so we are actually studying a drug that's supposed to be addictive for treating other drugs that are addictive or other addictions
0: <laughs> there's, there's something yeah. deliciously ironic about that yeah. yeah but actually this is a good good place for us to sort of draw things to a close I, I genuinely could talk to you for hours so this has been such a great couple of shows and thank you so much for sparing the time to talk to me gregor oh it was a pleasure thank you very much for inviting me Always a pleasure. And um, hopefully I can get you back on at some point in a few months to talk about various
1: other things. Absolutely. We will know much more with all these new studies coming out. So we are never out of fresh ideas and fresh topics to talk about. Good. Good. Thank you, Gregor. Thank you.